disciple is someone who simply walks in the blood-stained footsteps of Jesus. And I see the blood-stained footsteps of Jesus in areas where people have not come to know him yet. You're listening to That Jesus Podcast. It's easy to get cynical about missions organizations. They're all constantly asking for money, and many times it's hard to be certain that the money will end up accomplishing what they say it will. But there's one ministry that I can wholeheartedly recommend to anyone who wants to use their resources to propagate the good news among the unreached in India. We've already talked about how indigenous missions is the most effective way to reach the world. What's cool about this ministry is that they take it to the next level and ask, what's the most effective way to do indigenous missions? For security reasons, I can't name the organization, but I'm friends with its founder and president, who we simply call Brother Ebby. He was recently in my area, so I sat down with him to talk about what God is doing through his efforts to reach those who have never heard of Jesus. Brother Ebby is one of those guys who reminds me a lot of what it might have been like to hang out with Jesus of Nazareth. He's the real deal. If you want to support his work, let me know and I'll get you the contact information for their stateside representative. Hope you enjoy the conversation. So, could you share your testimony with us, like how you became a Christian and then eventually got involved in ministry? My grandpa's grandpa was a Hindu, and he was even a priest. Oh, wow. And he was into a sorcery a whole lot. Hmm. And uh, there's a story about his conversion. He was converted when one of the demon spirits that he was making use of got out of control, and he was running off to some place. Uh, he was seen literally sprinting across the village. When an Indian evangelist, this was in the mid-1800s, mm-hmm. met him and stopped him and offered help, he was very desperate, and seeing his desperation, the Indian evangelist uh, offered to pray for him. Mm-hmm. in Jesus' name, and uh, the man must have been quite desperate, you know, almost gasping for breath, because he had been running for a long time. And So he accepted the offer, and it seems um, when this evangelist prayed for him, uh, he was able to understand that Jesus was able to come alongside and help him with his problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, he understood that Jesus was the superpower, you know, yeah. more powerful than the demons that he was making use of in his trade. And that precipitated his conversion. And since the time we've been Christians, but I was 19 years old when I was part of a church. I was living the choir and, you know, Bible reading, reciting prayers every day, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were in the Episcopal Church. Okay. And I did not know Jesus. Hmm. But I had a friend who had messed up his life and he started to unburden on me all his problems didn't know how to help him and so for the very first time i said god if you exist please listen to my prayer for him i don't need any help Mm -hmm. 
I began to say that prayer over and over again. It almost became an obsession. The next six months, I saw myself doing all kinds of crazy things as an Episcopal Christian. I fasted for several days. Every day, I would stand on my knees and race through 25 chapters of the scripture. Wow. I even stopped speaking to people, wanting to maintain uh, a fast of silence. All this for that man. You know, yeah. I want, wanted God to take notice of what I was doing in order to please him, you know, earn merits, yeah. uh, and then, you know, have my prayers answered for that man. You know, nothing worked. So six months later, one day I sat and evaluated and said, no one seems to be listening to all these things, you know, the, no one's paying attention. So there must not be any God. Hmm. Just when I said that, out of all the readings I had done in the prior six months time, one verse jumped out, and that was Psalm 66, verse 18. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have heard my prayer. Mm-hmm. And it was a Holy Spirit moment, I believe. The Lord took took over my life at that point of time, began to speak to me and said, you know, you have not turned over your life to me. Mm-hmm. Do that first. Mm-hmm. So when I understood, I did that. And three months later, this friend of mine also was powerfully converted. Wow. And, and then we began to pray, and he led he felt that of the Lord to join Youth for Christ until today he's associated with them. Mm-hmm. He served with them full time and God led me to be a missionary. I began to love Jesus so much that I wanted to serve him. Mm-hmm. So I can say I called myself. I didn't know about calling and mm-hmm. you know, all those things. Uh, but soon I realized that I had to be called and I began to pray and then the Lord did call me. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I joined a local indigenous missionary movement called Friends Missionary Prayer Band, okay. and they sent me to a place 2,000 kilometers away from home. Wow. Just on your own with no support? No, they support okay. their missionaries, so they supported me, and uh, we were some three bachelors uh, staying in a small room in a village, and mm-hmm. day in and day out we'd go into the neighboring areas, and um, we would work in the Hindu villages. That's nice. what we did. I served with Friends Missionary Prayer Band for four years mm-hmm. and then moved on and worked with Trans World Radio for 13 years, okay. uh, most, most of the time in North India. Mm-hmm. And uh, in 1997, I joined Gospel for Asia, and I went there mainly because they needed somebody to take care of their radio ministry um, we ended up producing radio programs in 103 Indian languages and dialects. But while there, uh, the Lord began to use me in various ways. Uh, and uh, Dr. K.P. Ohanan asked me to actually lead the whole ministry. So I ended up becoming the general director of Gospel for Asia. At that time, they had something like 10,000 missionaries in seven different countries. Mm. And so not uh, just the India division, the entire organization. Yes, the Asia. Okay. Uh, Asia. Yeah, right. I was in charge of the field. Mm-hmm. And uh, during the time, it was my job to get the job done, mm-hmm. you know, meaning I had to train the missionaries, send them out, support them with salary, and uh, then get the job done, the job of uh, planting churches in unreached villages. In those days, we were, pl- we were praying for 500,000 villages. Mm-hmm. Now, while I was doing that, uh, I used to be um, intrigued by one thing, and that was whenever I traveled to different places, I kept 
running into unaffiliated pastors. Mm-hmm. Now, I want you to know uh, today there are almost 100,000 unaffiliated pastors in India, according to somebody's uh, research. Mm-hmm. Um, these are first-generation Christians, mostly, and they probably came to know the Lord within the last 20 years or so, um, and um, they don't belong to any church or any organization um, because they're first-generation Christians, uh, full of zeal for the Lord, full of love for Jesus Christ. They can't stop talking about Jesus in their villages. Mm-hmm. And uh, before even wanting to start a church, they they start churches. You know, they, they just keep telling people about Jesus, and people start believing. And when you have 20, 30 people that believe Jesus because of you, what do you do with them? You become their pastors. Yeah. So these 100,000 people would be pastors uh, that are independent, self-supporting, mainly in rural areas. And I kept running into lots of them, and God began to speak to me about them. So in 2006, the Lord gave me a specific vision to give my life, give the rest of my life, uh, to serve these unaffiliated pastors. Mm -hmm. Um, And God gave a strategy to fulfill the vision that he gave me. The vision he gave me was to reach out to 100,000 villages through 20,000 such unaffiliated, I would even call them independent pastors. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the strategy was to train them in the Word of God on the one hand and uh, at the same time send them into the villages to preach the gospel and to plant churches Mm -hmm. so that, um, you know, they can fulfill their God-given vision. Mm -hmm. And and it was only because of that vision uh, coupled with the strategy, um, I I, I prayed and I decided to uh, leave Gospel for Asia in 2006. Mm -hmm. And and since the time, I'm doing what I'm doing. So now would Gospel for Asia get pastors from villages and bring them to the city and train them there? Is that kind of how, how they do it? or? Uh, yeah, the, the, there's a big difference between what Gospel for Asia and organizations like Gospel for Asia would do and what we would do. Yeah, um, I would call their strategy a conventional strategy. Uh-huh. Uh, what it is they would recruit young people and bring them to their Bible schools. When I was there, they had 137 Bible schools. I don't know how many more Bible schools they have now. Mm -hmm. So they would take all their recruits to these Bible schools. Uh, These Bible schools uh, would be mostly in towns and cities, and they would train them Mm -hmm. uh, for three years, and then they would send them into the rural areas uh, to plant churches. Um, Whereas... Um, according to this vision and strategy, what we're doing is we're not recruiting uh, people who are planning to become missionaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are working with pastors uh, whom God has raised in the rural areas. Um, they are independent, self-supporting pastors. Uh, they don't have big ministries, maybe 20, 30 people that worship with them in a house or under a tree or in somebody's backyard or somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and these men are already um, men that have proved their calling, meaning that they have planted a church, and then they're self-supporting. Mm-hmm. Uh, they believe in the vision that God has given to them, and they want to grow. 
And so uh, it, it's a different ball game here. Yeah. You know, it's a different thing. You know, you come alongside these practitioners, if you will, mm -hmm. you know, self-starters, and mm -hmm. then you're just uh, helping them to multiply, helping them to grow yeah. uh, by coming alongside them for a time. Mm -hmm. uh, we would not support them with salary. We're not um, committing any big uh, financial help to them. Um, we we train them for five years, and during the five years, uh, they receive solid Bible training. And during those five years, uh, they each would target five to ten villages, and they would plant five to ten churches, mm -hmm. uh, and then they move on. Mm -hmm. uh, and then they are better self-supporting, and they are able to take it from there and grow further and fulfill their God-given vision. Uh, and so... You know, right now I have 9,500 pastors on the program, mm -hmm. uh, but I don't have even one church because yeah. we're not a denomination. Mm -hmm. uh, we are just functioning like catalysts. We're helping them to grow according to their God-given vision. Yeah, yeah, that's incredible. We're doing two types of training. Uh, on the one hand, we're training the pastors. Yeah. Um, that are enrolled uh, with us for our five-year program uh, and uh, also for the three-year program. We have two different programs. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, every one of those pastors uh, is encouraged to identify at least 10 Timothys mm -hmm. uh, out of this congregation. Some can even do more. I know of pastors who have 30 Timothys. Mm -hmm. uh, it depends upon the size of their congregation and, and how many churches they have. And uh, so uh, once they identify these 10 plus Timothys, mm -hmm. um, they start training them for two years. Okay. It's a two-year program. We have a curriculum that can cover the two-year period. And uh, this is not to be looked at as a Bible study that takes place within a church. This is actually church planters training. Mm -hmm. The pastor is just cloning himself, mm -hmm. you know. And so uh, he's training them right from the beginning uh, with the understanding that these men are going to uh, reach out to the neighboring villages. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm, I'm excited about it. Uh, currently, um, we have 9,500 plus pastors, and, and, and just do the math. You know, if each pastor adopts uh, five uh, Timothys and trains five Timothys, yeah. you're talking about 90,000 Timothys. <laughs> you know, and there are going to be many more Timothys, you know, batches, mm -hmm. of batches of young people that God would raise in these churches. Mm -hmm. So I'm very excited about this Timothy training. So what are some challenges that the pastors are, are facing as far as persecution nowadays? I know things have been getting a lot more difficult under uh, the Modi administration and with some of the, the radical Hindu groups. So uh, wh what are some of the, the pressures that they're facing on a you know, weekly basis? Uh, we have always had persecution. Uh, and uh, persecution is uh, nothing new in India. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you 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 may know that um, uh, an Australian missionary and his two sons were burnt alive, mm. and then in 2008, 500 Christians were killed and 5,000 um, houses of Christians were either burnt or demolished. And, mm. and even today, some of those Christians that had to flee their villages 
uh, in the state of Odisha are living on uh, refugee camps. Um, in the recent years, uh, persecution has intensified. And I'm told that we are one of the most, uh, 10 most persecuted uh, um, countries of the world. Wow. And uh, persecution is very visible now. Mm-hmm. And uh, last year we counted 90 major incidents across our organization alone. Mm. And uh, I know that many of the organizations reported a lot more. Um, it is becoming very difficult to even get into the villages these days. Mm-hmm. Um, it's difficult to get into a village to preach the gospel. It's difficult to, very challenging to pass out gospel tracts. And um, in some parts of uh, North India, it's becoming increasingly difficult even to gather together for worship. And so um, in, in some places, uh, some of our pastors say that, you know, they were earlier on meeting with 200 people uh, in their village, uh, but now those 200 people uh, are being met in 20 different places, hmm. uh, and, and not during the day, um, uh, during the night, um, and not even on Sundays, but through the week. Mm-hmm. Uh, this means... A lot of work for the pastors. Yeah. You know, it's one thing to meet with 200 people and worship with them in one place, and now you're going to meet with 20 different groups. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I'm saying all this to say that uh, under the circumstances, uh, in some parts of India, uh, the church is having to go underground. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, uh, I, I, I see the church being faithful, uh, the church in India being faithful, I see pastors uh, being as committed as ever uh, to get out and preach the gospel. Mm -hmm. Uh, Last year, we recruited, 2018, we recruited uh, 1,882 pastors. Wow. And uh, this year, uh, almost uh, the same kind of number. we we target our goal is two thousand, and uh, mm-hmm. we would know by December how many pastors we are able to bring on board. Yeah. Um, so I, I I'm encouraged by the fact that um, you know although persecution has increased, the church in India is not uh, afraid, is not hiding. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead, the church is really bold and yeah. and growing. Yeah. Yeah, when we were in India this year, my my wife and I met with some of the pastors. We just heard some incredible stories it felt like we were reading the book of acts again could you tell us maybe some some recent stories of what god's been doing uh through the pastors supported by serve india yes um i know of this one pastor by name uh kumar mm-hmm. and uh, he works among the yada people mm-hmm. uh, you know that there are some say there are up to 75 million yada people and they yeah. live are in different states of India, they go by different names, mm-hmm. uh, and in this one state, uh, Uttar Pradesh, there are at least 7.5 million uh, Yadavs, mm-hmm. and um, it's our privilege to work in the midst of the Yadav people, and, mm-hmm. and this dear brother, uh, Kumar, is a Yadav, and he says that since the time he started to serve with us, he has started a uh, church in four different places. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is how 
one of those churches were planted, uh, was planted. Um, one day he was um, um, trying to preach the gospel in a village and all of a sudden he was surrounded by a group of people and uh, they called him names and they were shouting and screaming and they snatched away his uh, motor scooter and, and they started to damage the scooter mm. and uh, they even threatened to kill him. Mm. Uh, but he kept quiet. He wasn't afraid. He continued to trust the Lord and um, they were very mean to him that day. Uh, but by God's grace, uh, he got his uh, motor scooter back. Um, it was it had been already severely damaged, and yet he's thankful. He was thankful to have it back. Mm -hmm. uh, they warned him severely against uh, coming back to the village. Mm -hmm. But then he persevered, and he was bold. Mm -hmm. And today there is a church. That's wow. one of the four churches he has planted. And he says that in another village. Um, uh, he went into this uh, place and um, actually started a, a small fellowship group. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, a man came into the fellowship and started to scream and shout and threaten. Um, but they kept quiet and they did not retaliate and say mm -hmm. anything. Um, and uh, several such incidents happened, but today... Uh, there is a growing congregation in that village. Mm -hmm. uh, the pastor says that in the last five months, uh, uh, he was uh, blessed to have the fourth church wow. uh, planted, mm -hmm. and, and he's so thankful for that. Uh, yes, the the Arabs uh, need to be reached with the gospel. Mm -hmm. uh, among the 75 million Yadavs, um, the percentage of Christians would be 0 0.01. Mm -hmm. uh, less than yeah. a dot, less than a dot, mm -hmm. uh, almost nothing. Uh, but praise God that they are uh, turning to Christ uh, or in the midst of all the oppositions uh, that our pastors are facing. Mm -hmm. I know of at least 12 men in this eastern part of Uttar Pradesh mm -hmm. uh, that are faithfully serving the Lord, mm -hmm. uh, and God is blessing that ministry. That's awesome. Yeah, I remember when we were in Uttar Pradesh, uh, the one pastor was telling us that he was paralyzed and they took him to all these different Hindu gods and goddesses for prayer for basically his whole life. I think he was around 40 or so uh, when he finally came to the end of himself and decided, I'm going to try Jesus, right? So they mm -hmm. take him to a church and he said immediately as soon as they prayed for him, he was completely healed. Wow. <laughs> and then, you know, there's so many stories like this wow. where there's just miraculous healings. And, yes. you know, uh, sitting with them, hearing all their stories, I, I think I, I tried to tell them, you know, in America we don't quite experience all these <laughs> same things a lot of the time, and they didn't seem to quite understand it. You know, to them this is just normal Christianity, these Book of Acts-type experiences. So. Yeah, it's, it's incredibly encouraging just to sit down with them and, and hear what God's been doing through them. Wow. Praise you know? God. Praise God. So one, one of the frustrations I have uh, here in America is that it doesn't seem like a lot of believers have much of a passion to share the gospel specifically with unreached people. Uh, I think maybe it's just a lack of awareness of you know, what Jesus meant when he said, take the gospel to every ethnos or every nation. And maybe it's just a materialism. I, I don't know quite what is, is keeping a lot of American believers from catching this same zeal. Uh, but what would you say to 
to uh, those of us who are trying to raise awareness for missions in places like India? Or what would you even say to, to an American believer who might just not feel that same zeal? I think the, the money, the comfort, uh, the recreation, mm-hmm. and uh, such other things um, are taking a lot of their uh, attention. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not to say that the people in India also are falling into those same uh, uh, pits. Yeah. Um, but you know, um, unless the people of God believe that our God is a missionary God and uh, we, um, those of us who are following him, uh, must be a missionary people. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody said uh, a church that does not send must end. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, that's the logical, uh, you know, conclusion. You know, um, anyway, um, I I I believe that uh, in, in the churches um, there needs to be first of all. Um, uh, a lot of uh, t- uh, you know focus on discipleship. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus called us to be his disciples. Okay, we're not his fans. We're not just uh, you know his supporters. Mm-hmm. Um, we are basically his disciples, mm-hmm. and uh, he was calling e- even during the days when he was walking this earth. He was again and again calling people to take up their cross and and follow him. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, unless there is enough emphasis uh, placed on discipleship within the churches, uh, people wouldn't know uh, what it means to really follow Jesus. Mm -hmm. Uh, And a disciple is not just some nice, fine Christian who... Uh, checks a lot of boxes and says, and I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this. Mm-hmm. A disciple is someone who simply walks in the blood-stained footsteps of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I see the blood-stained footsteps of Jesus in areas where people have not come to know him yet. He is mm-hmm. busy um, crisscrossing these areas yeah. uh, in, in, in the parts of the world where there are people that call themselves Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, animists, and and even mm-hmm. and, and atheists, uh, and and you know you just mentioned that this pastor who uh, who who was suffering from paralysis yeah. was miraculously healed. You know, in my country, I see God being at at work. We are not at work. You know, more than Him, He's at work, mm-hmm. and 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 so what I would say is. Uh, the church that walks the way of uh, discipleship mm-hmm. will definitely, uh, naturally, uh, almost by second nature, uh, would get involved in missions both locally mm-hmm. and globally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, amen. Now, you uh, you see the role of believers here in America as primarily a supporting and sending role. So could you 
uh, I hope I'm not putting words in your mouth, but, um, could, but could you maybe speak to that a little bit and then, you know, share how someone listening to this who might be in America, who might be blessed with financial resources, uh, could support your ministry, how much it would cost to support one of these pastors. And, you know, if, if someone's been inspired this, kind of give them a plan of action. Yes. Uh, first of all, let me say this. If God calls you to go to the ends of the world, please go. Yeah. I'm no one to stop you from going mm-hmm. to the uttermost parts of the earth. Mm-hmm. You know, Acts 1.8. Uh, but when I travel across the United States, mm-hmm. I see that there are lots and lots of opportunities for the believers in America right here. Mm-hmm. Half of America uh, has already been lost, I would say. Yeah. Uh, maybe even more. There are lots of people that don't believe in Jesus, and there are lots of others who say they believe in Jesus, but they don't walk the talk. Mm-hmm. And so there are lots of opportunities. I would strongly encourage a believer to work locally mm-hmm. and uh, try to send people that want to globally to go globally um, or a better strategy there would be to encourage the natives. Mm -hmm. For example, God has raised these 100,000 native workers in India, across India, people that were Hindus 10, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, Why not come alongside them and help them? There are 1,652 different languages, 6,400 different ethnic groups, and uh, in order to effectively preach the gospel, communicate the gospel, you need to know the language and you need to know the culture. And when God has raised uh, this army of people, why not just come alongside them and help them? Yeah. And so I would encourage uh, believers that have this Acts 1-8 vision mm-hmm. to get involved right here mm-hmm. um, and also to send the resources uh, to areas where uh, people are uh, in outside the fold in large numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a place like India where 97% of us are outside the fold, mm-hmm. uh, the Christians there, you know, they have some means and they can do what they can do with what they have. But to be able to reach out to the 97% that is outside the fold, mm-hmm. we can definitely... Uh, receive some help from yeah. people that are willing to help. Mm-hmm. So I would strongly encourage uh, people to send their uh, resources mm-hmm. uh, to places uh, like India mm-hmm. uh, where God is doing a lot of things mm-hmm. and um, they can support the native workers. Um, it costs so less, so less to... $40 a month. Just right? $40 a month. Yeah, you know, uh, our strategy is we, uh, I told you, we work with pastors who are independent and self-supporting and so we don't pay anybody's salaries mm-hmm. we are spending the forty dollars to bring them training and to help them with their church planting agenda mm-hmm. of planting five churches in five years mm-hmm. and uh, so you can support a pastor or you can support a bunch of pastors or you can support a field our field is like 20 pastors mm-hmm. a cohort of pastors it costs 800 a month to support a group of pastors yeah. and it's uh, it, it, we would need it for a five-year period of time and, you know, what a blessing it will be to send them to 100 villages yeah. and potentially uh, evangelize, fully evangelize 100 villages and plant 100 churches yeah. during the period of time. Yeah, amen. Thanks so much for taking the time to do this, Brother Abi. It's been great.
Thank you, thank you. It's my privilege. Thanks for listening to this episode of That Jesus Podcast. The music was created by Kyle Skriloff. You can find his music on SoundCloud at Captive Music. Thanks. Thanks.